So uh, I need you to do me a favor on your page. I need you to, maybe up at the top near the, the title area, uh, draw an almond. Draw an almond. Just, I, I think most of you have seen an almond before. Um, just draw, it doesn't have to be size specific. It doesn't have to be, f uh, some of you I know have more uh, artistic ability than others, but draw an almond. Now on the other side, maybe of if you depending on how did you, how big you drew your almond, um, draw a rose. Draw a rose. Again, I'm no one will be grading your drawing ability. Um, just draw a rose. Okay. Now this is relevant to today's message uh, within the tabernacle. We've been studying the tabernacle, its structure, its layout. We're, we've, we've, we've actually started in the process of looking at what they call the furniture. Uh, so we looked at the, bron uh, the bronze altar out in the courtyard where the sacrifice, of, uh, the, the, the sacrifice was made, a picture of Christ's sacrifice. We looked at the, the laver, the, uh, the bronze laver also in the courtyard and how it is a picture of uh, the, the needing clean hands in order to minister, right? So now we're actually made our way into the tabernacle proper, into the tent, as it's sometimes referred to. And the first piece of, of furniture that we will see is, uh, that we're going to study today, is the golden candlestick, which is on the left. Don't have a specific purpose in the order in which we're going to do the furniture. There's a couple of different ways I could have approached it, but uh, the Lord led me this, this way. So, um, so look at our design and build. Remember, we've got our two parallel passages. In design, we've got it in Exodus 25, and the build narrative is in Exodus 37. In Exodus 25, now hear me out, I am going to read this. I know it's going to sound a little wonky, but there's a re, I mean, just going through it, but just bear with me. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft, his branches, his bowls, his knops, and his flowers shall be of, th uh, of the same. <clears throat> excuse me, of the same, and six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side, three bowls made like unto almonds with a knop and a flower in one branch, and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knop and a flower. Uh, so in the six branches that came out of the candlestick, and the candlestick shall be four bowls made like almonds with their knops and their flowers. And there shall be a knop under two branches of the same and a knop under two branches of the same and a knop under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceedeth out of the candlestick. Their knops and their branches shall be of the same and it shall all be one beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And the tongs thereof, and the snuff dishes thereof, shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make it, with all the vessels. And look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. So we won't take the time to read uh, the Exodus 37, how it was built. Uh, we will we'll touch on that as we go through it. But Exodus 37, 17 through 24 uh, narrative is, is obviously very similar. Nothing specifically that I wanted to pull out from the parallel narrative of the build. So this is the current candlestick 
golden candlestick that sits in Israel today. This is, they have prepared a candlestick for the temple to be built. This perspective is a little a little wonky. The, it is not twice does not appear to be twice or three times as tall as a person. There's some perspective to it. You can see that there's like uh, you're able to get above it and take uh, take a picture. So it's it's kind of a downward angle here. But this is the I mean in theory if there wasn't a war going on uh, and you wanted to travel to Israel you can go visit this. These are pictures I've pulled off of the internet that people uh, just grabbed you know they took themselves um so this is the golden candlestick so you can kind of see uh the design and we'll we'll talk more about that in just a moment but the size of the tabernacle candlestick was one talent okay it was one talent it was in verse 39 of a talent of pure gold shall he make it now a talent is about 75 pounds so you've got 75 pounds of pure gold in this candlestick. Today, on, based on just a quick internet search, that's almost $1.8 million in today's value of a, of a pure candlestick uh, or a candlestick made of pure gold. I don't know the value of the one that's in Israel. I'm sure it's in that ballpark. It may even be more because I, the temple uh, furniture and furnishings were greater in magnitude than those in the tabernacle. So it's probably worth even more. But you're talking a very, so, so don't forget the bronze altar, the bronze laver, those are kind of a copper a, a, a indication of, of judgment that we've looked at in our, in our materials. Now that we've moved in the tabernacle, we're back to gold. The gold plating that was on the bars and on the on the on the uprights and on the on the staves that would hold all of it together, right? All those components that made the structure of the of the tabernacle were of gold. So we're back to a gold theme, right? Picture of the deity of Christ, a picture of the deity of God. So this just I just wanted to give you a little bit of perspective on the size that we we're talking. Probably would have taken two people to move, not because one person couldn't take carry 75 pounds, but when you think about the nature of the arms of the the uh, the candlestick coming out, you would want to make sure you protect that, okay? So we need to talk about this knop, this almond knop, the flower and the bowl because I bet Everybody drew a picture of a nut when I said draw a picture of an almond. Who did not draw a picture of a nut? Like a little pointed top nut. Like, right? I mean, it was, it's a nut with a, t a pointy, it looks like a teardrop, right? An almond. That's actually not what's being described here. What's being described here is the flower of the almond tree, okay? Or the almond bush. I'm not sure if it's a tree or a bush. But of the plant that is the almond tree, um, there were flowers that would come out of it. So we're not talking about the fruit or the nut portion of the tree. We're talking about the flowering part. Now the knop is also called or also translated in, in Hebrew as a lintel. So if you were to look back at the two doors back here or at this door over here, the cross member that goes horizontally above a door, you have them in your house, that would be the lintel, the top, the capital, if you will, of the, um, of the door. It's also the base of what it holds up 
everything above it, if you will, okay? So the, the nop that is being referred to here in scripture, in this description, is a little bump that is at the base of the flower. So it's the base of the bloomed flower. The bowl, if you can imagine, is the shape that the flower petals make when they sit on the knop, okay? So there's a, a bud, if you will, and then on top of that bud, out comes the flowers, okay? And they make a bowl. So the bowl and the knop together make a flower, okay? Make the flower. So the flower is the collection of the petals that make the bowl shape together with the base. So because it's a lot of words and I'm a, a little more of a picture guy, these are pictures of an almond, okay? Notice that you don't see anything that looks like it goes on a salad, okay? You don't see anything that's going to be out at Christmas and Thanksgiving that you pop into your, into your mouth, right? You're not, it's not in a, in a, in a uh, are almonds in a trail mix? I feel like I was going to say trail mix, but I'm not sure almonds are in there. Okay, it depends on how you make them. So it's not in something you'd find in a trail mix, Okay. This is the almond flower. Now, what you'll see here is these have already, the petals have already fallen off, but I wanted to include them because you can actually see the base, the knops, very clearly in these pictures, okay? But if you imagine the knop below this, the flower right here, right? Now you can see the bowl, the knop and the bowl all together, right? That's the flower, all right, so that's really important in the understanding of the structure because now this isn't in your notes, but, but, but why? Why an almond? Because an almond is an indication of both fruit, the nut, but fruit, the flower in the Old Testament, okay? It's something that is designed to bear an outward result of what's going on inside. You may remember Aaron's rod that budded. I was actually hoping somebody was gonna share that as a favorite story because that rod that budded, budded almonds, interestingly. That's what ended up in the Ark of the Covenant and it indicates both uh, in, uh, fruit, fruit bearing, but also selection, okay? So those are your types. Those, again, that was extra, no extra cost. That's not on your notes. Okay, so when we look at our design, you have one big beaten piece of metal, okay? And you say, wow, it sounds kind of severe to call it beaten, but that's how you would start with pure gold and get it into a structure is you would beat it to shape it. Now, there are three pairs of branches on each side that actually denotes that there's sides to it, right? So that's, the, and we saw in the picture, it's a relatively flat structure as compared to a relatively three-dimensional structure. It's not like you have six, like if you have any kind of lamp or um, chandelier, I don't know, like light fixture above your dining room or above your kitchen, in your kitchen or something, it probably comes down off of some sort of, chain or some sort of rod and then it has stuff that goes all directions usually there's three twos or threes or fours or whatever right that's not the structure of this lamp this lamp is very clear that you need to have three that go on this side 
and three that go on this side, denoting that it's a relatively flat structure. There are three bowls and knops, the flower, on each branch, okay? There, as a result, there are four bowls on the center pillar, okay? Below, one at the top, and then one below each of the branches. Trying to put it this way, this is the best picture that I could see. I'm not sure that the center one necessarily was higher. This is obviously somebody's uh, representation, but you can see the knop and the bowl, the flower, three times, okay? And then the, the lamp itself, the, where the oil would sit. And for each one, you would have the knop and the flower, the knop and the flower, the knop and the flower, the knop and the flower. So it's pretty structured that you end up with how many total? Well, you end up with six times three, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 flowers and bowls. Or uh, flowers and knops, or the or flower, huh? Knops and bowls, or the flower. Okay, so that is the structure of the of the uh, of of the uh, candlestick. I don't know about you, but every time I say candlestick, I kind of want to say it was the God, it was God in the tabernacle with the candlestick. <laughs> um, okay, now. There's a position, this is the same picture I had a, maybe a couple weeks ago. It's turned on its side, so some of the words are weird. The candlestick is sideways here, the arc is sideways, I, but just bear with me. What's interesting is, is its placement, okay? So we would have come in, the brazen altars here, the brazen labor, so the priest is doing the sacrifice, cleaning, and then they would have walked in. If you remember this, the front of the tabernacle, the tent, if you will, was open. It was just curtains. So this is the door, if you will. So they would have walked in and to the right, they would have seen the table of showbread. In front of them, the altar of incense and the candlestick to the left. Okay, the candlesticks to the left. We know that because of Exodus uh, 40 here, uh, verse 22 and 24. And he put the table in the tent of the congregation upon the side of the tabernacle northward without the veil, meaning outside of the veil, not outside of the tabernacle, but this was specifically the veil. And he put the candlestick in the tent of the congregation over against the table on the south uh, uh, or on the side of the tabernacle southward. So again, this is this would be north, south, uh, west, and east. So it would be turned this orientation, but for the slide purposes and uh, and and for another point that I'm getting ready to make, it's very it's very illustrative. So we know that this is the layout of the furniture in the tabernacle. Okay, we know that this is the layout. Now it's interesting because this is the first asymmetric structure placement that we've talked about. Now, if you don't know what asymmetric is, it's just not, there's not a, a mirror to it. Now, it itself has a mirror. It has a center line, right, with three arms on one side, three arms on the other. But when you look at everything we've looked at to this point, there's been the same on this side as on this side. You could divide the brazen altar, you could divide the brazen laver, you could divide the structure itself, and I didn't have time to go back and pull it into the slides, but even the structures, the number of boards on each side, the number of staves, everything is symmetrical from the left hand to the right hand. 
This is the first time we see any asymmetry in the tabernacle, okay? Now, I think there's a reason for this. I think there's a reason because it's actually similar to the body, okay? The body is very symmetrical. If you look at the musculoskeletal system, it's very symmetrical. So when I was in clinical practice, there was actually a condition, I meant to look it up, I can't remember it offhand, where somebody's one side of their body doesn't grow the same as the other side of their body. It's very interesting. Uh, their, their ear is lower, their eye is lower, their head is literally smaller on this side, their shoulder sits like this. They usually have to have a, a lift in their shoe because their leg is, it's a very interesting, their body just simply didn't grow symmetrically, okay? This is a very symmetrical structure to our body. But when you get to the inside of the body, there's both symmetry and asymmetry. This is a picture of what's going on in the body of the believer, okay? You have stuff that's like, I have one gallbladder and it sits on this side of my body. My stomach generally sits on this side of my body. My liver, almost completely on this side but I do have two kidneys that are symmetrical. I have two lungs that are basically symmetrical, right? The heart sits a little more on this side, so that makes the lungs not quite symmetrical. The point is that as a result, this is a picture, a type of the structure of, the hum of, the hu of humanity. God is wanting to dwell with humanity on the earth in the form of the tabernacle. We saw that. We've seen that in many different types. There's potential illustration of the, the boards and the bars. Being, if you remember, we talked about the pairs of DNA, uh, um, uh, pairs of, of uh, chromosomes, can be the word, uh, that, that appears to be a picture there. The number of, of structures similar to the number of bones in the body. There's, there's a lot of parallels between the body and the tabernacle. And this is just yet another one. Okay, so when we see MBT, notice 1 Corinthians 12, 18, but now God hath set the members, every one of them in the body as it has pleased him. God put the, t like, I, this is one of the ways I study. I don't know if it's right or wrong. I'm just su being super transparent. If it was me, I would have put the candlestick there. <laughs> okay. Thank goodness. I mean, you guys ought to be super thrilled I am not God for like a gazillion different reasons. Okay? Amen, brother. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. But do you see what I'm saying? Like, you would want it to light the whole room up. It's on one side. Like, if we walked in today and the only lights were over here, it would feel odd. But God did that with a purpose. Okay, he did that with a purpose. And so when we think about the church, the body, he has placed every member in the body where it has pleased him, not where it pleases us necessarily. Okay? If we got a call today that, and I've made this kind of illustration before, that we needed Kid Town workers and nobody showed up, I would go in and I would work with Kid Town. And kids would come in, they would be safe. They would get the snack, they would be taught Bible, and they would go home safe. But I wouldn't be happy about it because I am not a kid's person. That's just not my gift set. It would happen. Like, and you all as parents, if you had kids in there, you wouldn't even know. Like, they wouldn't be like, Mr. Dobson's really mean. It wouldn't be like that. I mean, like, I could do it. 
It would be where God put me as compared to what pleased me. Point being, sometimes you've got to go out of your comfort zone to serve where God has you, okay? Now, generally, that aligns with our gifting. Generally, that aligns with our talents. Generally, it aligns with our desires, but not always. Not always. So our building lesson, our first building lesson today, fulfill your role. You're placed in ministry for a purpose. And if you're not there, if you're not actively participating in what God's called you to do, there's a gap. Somebody else is having to fill that. And maybe not ideally. Maybe not ideally. So let's talk about the function for a few minutes before we close. The function, it was powered by olive oil. This is a not Popeye's olive oil. <laughs> Don't call up Walmart and say, do you have olive oil in a can? Did anybody do that when they were kids? I actually, I, one time, I called a grocery store and asked if they had olive oil in a jar or a can. I can't remember. And they said yes. And I said, you better let her out before Popeye gets there and hung up the phone real fast. <laughs> so some of you don't realize how little we had to do when we were, who was I talking to? Uh, I was talking to somebody, I think at the race yesterday. Uh, who was I talking to? And uh, they had, oh, uh, no, it was a, as a work meeting. They said they had a, uh, a rotary phone on their, um, as a display, you know, decor in their house. And their grandkid came over and didn't know what it was, even at all, and was asking questions and ask if, um, if they lived in black and white when they were, when they were young. Um, yeah. So it was a little black and white when I was growing up. So this is not olive oil, uh, you know, Popeye's oil, olive oil. This is the pressed olive that outcomes some juice that is uh, able to be burned, able to create lamp. In Exodus 27, uh, 20, and thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring the pure olive oil beaten for the light and to cause the lamp to burn always. And notice as we jump into uh, 35, 18, or 8, 14, and 28, and oil for the light, the candlestick also for the light, and his furniture and his lamps with the, uh, with the oil for the light. And then in verse 28, and oil for the light. Notice here that it was powered by olive oil. It was supposed to be burned always. Now, I don't know that in this context, if they were to, to make a, a movement, we didn't spend time on it this week. We've talked about it a couple other times, that they would wrap these items that didn't have rings and staves. So the, uh, uh, so the candlestick got wrapped up in a protective garment, in a protective sheet of material, if you will, for transport. So I don't know that it was to burn always perpetually, but it's kind of like, I think Sam used the illustration of praying without ceasing. It's not like if you look at a menu for a moment, you got to, you're going to go out to lunch today and, and you, have to, you have to choose what you're going to have. You'd be like, well, you weren't praying right then. You were choosing what you're going to have for lunch. So you're not praying without ceasing. Sorry, you failed. No, it's not like that. It's like at, all, at every remembrance and times when you can pray. So this, this light needed to be perpetually going when it was set up. And it was sparked by the shepherd. It was sparked by the shepherd. Notice in Exodus 40, 18 through 25, or 18 and 25, Moses reared up the tabernacle and fastened his sockets and set up the boards thereof and put in the bars thereof and reared up his pillars. You remember we talked about this. If you weren't here for that, I would, I guess, encourage you to go back and check out those messages that that process would have required more than Moses. 
So Moses is leading this effort, but is not the only one. I actually think it would have been impossible. I guess with God, all things are possible, but I think it physically would have been impossible for Moses to have set up every board, shoved every uh, uh, stave through, put the tent over the tabernacle on his own. I think this is a picture of shepherding. This is a picture of leading. And he reared up the pillars and he lighted the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. If God tells Mitch Dobson to go ye into all the world and this class ends up going into all the world, I have participated in that that great commission uh, response. That's not an abdication. I, if I'm supposed to go, I should go. Okay, but collectively we did it. So this lamp was sparked by the shepherd and it shines light on the table of showbread. Now, next week we will look at the table of showbread. It's a picture of the word of God. There's two stacks of loaves or uh, of bread, six and six, 12 total, one for each of the tribes, but it's a picture of the 66 books of the Bible. Can't get away from it. The table of showbread, bread, the word of God, right? Jesus Christ is about, like, we'll get there next week. But the lamp is supposed to shine light. It's supposed to be across from the table of showbread. But look at this in Revelation 4, 5. I bet you, I bet some of you didn't know this. Out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps burning, a fire burning before the throne. And look at this, which are the seven spirits of God. <clears throat> the seven spirits of God. This lamp having seven is not by accident. It's a picture of what's going on in heaven. It's a type of what of what's literally physic, physically, spiritually in heaven even right now. It's the seven spirits of God. And you say, wait a minute. I thought there was one spirit of God. Now there's seven? What kind of heresy are you teaching, Mitch? Well, notice the seven spirits are clearly articulated in Isaiah 11. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. There are seven spirits that the Lord communicates through his Holy Spirit. Okay, seven, I don't want to call them manifestations, but aspects. Just like there's one God and there's a, tri- a trinity, a triune God who manifests himself as the, in, in certain times he's, or he shows up as a better way, shows up as the God the Son. And other times the Holy Spirit's active. Other times God the Father is active. There are seven spirits, seven aspects, okay? If you had a dice right now and I tossed a dice on the table and up popped a one, would I say the dice only had a one? No, it's the one, it's what's up. And there's a two, a three, a four, a five, and a six, right? Because that, but this is not any different than that. There's seven aspects. The spirit of the Lord himself, the spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel. Put them put this way. The Lord, the spirit of, of God at work, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. These are different cognitive or spiritual uh, components, like different, they're not necessarily physical. They're things that go on inside of you. You might say, well, wisdom sounds an awful lot like counsel. Well, maybe. I might use wisdom if I counsel you, 
But my ability to counsel you and you to receive the counsel, that happens from the Holy Spirit. My ability to, to understand Scripture comes from the Holy Spirit. My, the ability to, to step forward in, in spiritual courage or might, well, that that's, comes from the Spirit. But even the Spirit of, of knowledge, the Spirit of, of comprehending concepts that otherwise can't like like some people cannot comprehend that a donkey actually spoke hebrew to another dude or to a to a guy they cannot that's that's that is just a story it's a uh what's a, what's the uh, a fable well, it's not a fable it actually happened i believe it happened right i can believe that i can understand it through the holy spirit there's seven aspects, seven. So, so the Holy Spirit uses each of these areas shining across the, the holy place against the word of God to teach us the word. Notice in John 14, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The Holy Spirit teaches understanding right? He teaches knowledge. But when the comforter is come, who I'll send unto you from the father, even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the father, he shall testify of me. Like we can understand what God's doing and how God's at work through the Holy Spirit. It is literally how we can rejoice when one of our loved ones dies that knows the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit. We also see in John 16, Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth is come, he shall guide you into truth for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear that shall he speak and he will show you things to come. He will give you wisdom. He will give you comprehension. He will give you knowledge. He will give you uh, whatever you can't get from anywhere else. Might. In first Corinthians two, three, uh, 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. You know what? I, one of the things I love about, about the spiritual journey is you can have read a passage. I can't tell you how many times I have read Isaiah 1 and I've never picked up on the fact that it's actually the seven spirits that are referenced in Revelation and also uh, pictured in the tabernacle. Never, never noticed it before. I've studied it before. As, you know, as, I, I'm not saying this correctly. There was a period of time I didn't understand it. And then there was a point in time I which I did understand it. And there are countless things in scripture that I have read that I didn't really understand. And then one day, and usually under teaching of the word or studying of the word or hearing a podcast or something, it's like, oh, I get it. That's the Holy Spirit at work, like right in that moment. That's a beautiful thing. This is not tied to your, your intellectual ability. Not even at all, I would argue. I mean, you have to comprehend words. And there are, there are people in this ministry and other ministries I've had where we've had to teach them the ability to read so that they can understand scripture. But I would even argue those things were spirit, uh, spirit filled. So it brings us to our, our second and our last building lesson. The light of the Lord is necessary for understanding his word. The light of the Lord, this candlestick is necessary for understanding his word and your ministry to it and through it and around it. 
It's pretty important. I cannot come to you today in the power of my own might, in the power of my own intellect, and give you anything of value. Okay, you know what? The most value that I can give you are the stupid question discussion questions that we do at the beginning of class. <laughs> that some of you roll your eyes at. Like, that's what I've got. Everything else comes from the Lord. His teaching me, and so I'm just teaching you. So it brings, I think, a little bit more illustration here in Luke 13, or 11 and verse 33. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, put it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light, and the light then reflects on the word and on the ministry. It's really important that these lights were up on a candlestick. It's a real, it's a beautiful picture of unity, that it was one piece. It's a beautiful picture of fruit bearing. Oh, shall we say the fruit of the spirit, right? Like it's all very intertwined. It's a beautiful picture, beautiful picture. From this, from this one piece of furniture, we still have three to go. And then we still have some other things to talk about. We've probably have, I'm guessing, five or six weeks left in this series of, of teaching in this series and then we'll we'll consider uh, what the, you know. I'm I'm already praying through what's what's next after that. But just please consider just you know, committing to to follow through with the rest of this because there's a lot more. The Word of God, the altar of incense, a picture of prayer, the the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat where the blood is sprinkled. I mean, it's it's beautiful. There's still more to go. I encourage you to to join us, Lord. We thank you for the time and your Word.